Angela Starts, and welcome to Real Indigenous. Got a couple of other hosts with me tonight. I'll let them introduce themselves. Maduwika, I'm Sunrise Tipikani. Hinche Estongo, Chajekaros, Marley Fixico, Hodogegi, Omalegida, Omadoa. Hello, how are you? My name is Marley Fixico. I am a member of the Seminole Nation um, of Oklahoma. I am also a Laguna Pueblo and Navajo. I am a member, uh, I am of the Wind Clan, and my band is Mikasiki. Well, Marley, we're excited to have you on again. You joined us in our first year. And what did we talk about? Do you remember? We talked about. I do remember, but it just like slipped right whenever you asked me. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it was a Dennis Goulet movie, um, and it was kind of like similar to um, like residential schools and like the kind of something like we're going on, going through right now with uh, the Indian Child Welfare Act being under Supreme Court, like, um, I want to say attack, <laughs> but kind of, kind of. It kind of is, but it's um, up for dis- decisions, which is a really big topic right now because I feel like it's kind of bringing on those like old wounds. It's like we thought we were good for like it's only been an act for like forty years, and it's like why are y'all keep trying to take our children away? Why are y'all trying to take our our future? And so like that's what we talked about. We talked about the similarities there, but it wasn't just like native children that was in the movie it was like all children and also i want to say is oh sorry sorry it was night raid night raiders yes night raiders yes i was gonna say it's like this is like bad guy stuff this is like empire stuff this is like bad star wars things it's like (laughs) why you why you coming after our kids man why can't you just let us like live and survive so that that was our episode last time, and it was a very good episode, I think. <laughs> so good. We invited you to come back and talk about another topic that you're very passionate about. So why don't you tell everybody what it is, what made you want to talk about it, and then we'll we'll open up the discussion. Okay. Um, so uh, I wanted to talk about Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. Um because I had the book and I've really been wanting a reason to read it. I still didn't finish reading it, by the way, for all honesty. But I read, like, at least the first half or three-third of it. And it was really interesting. And I know there was also a movie about it. And so um, I thought that was a good thing to kind of talk about. And also, like, um, we've had, like, a lot of, like, um, social um, indigenous things going on ICWA and then like we had Standing Rock like in 2016 and then we also have um Lion 3 going on recently in a couple years and then um currently we have um Cop City on Muskogee lands in Atlanta and then there's um the Willow Project up going up in um uh Alaska so um I kind of wanted to talk about that and then also like just like familiarizing myself with indigenous history and learning about a lot of these like great leaders and kind of like what things they learned and it's 
also kind of like a retelling of history from the native perspective. Um, Dee Brown wrote the book and um, already like in the intro and like the preface, I was like writing down notes. Um, and so I got a few of those I want to talk about from the book, but my, I guess my primarily we'll talk about the movie, the series from HBO. The history of the movie. The history of the movie? Um, how, it, how it came about, all that stuff. Uh, no, it sounds like you do. I don't. No. Oh. Oh, it's well. from 2007. 2007 HBO. HBO. Uh, made uh, for TV. I'm doing air quotes. You can't well, see me. Made, made for, you know, cable and also premium cable, right? Like, so this is, you know, probably at the end, the tail end, like uh, Sopranos had just ended. This is like on the verge of that um, Scorsese series, right? Like that. Um, what is it called? Um, it's got Empire. Boardwalk oh, Empire. Boardwalk Empire. Yeah. This is kind of like the period of HBO, and I guess it's um, not quite the HBO that we know now, just as a context, I guess. Um, this would definitely be considered a TV movie, though. It seems like today, if they made this today, it seems like they probably should remake it, but it, if they made it today, probably more of a series. But this is like what two and a half hours or something um yeah uh, how much time period does the book cover marley do you know just curious i was looking for my notes um it kind of like starts with like an introduction of like it talks about columbus and so it starts there and it goes like to plymouth and then um i think it ends uh with wounded knee um in the 1900s yeah so it's quite quite a, a large amount of time uh yeah but the series only focuses really upon like really when dawes um starts to make some decisions and you know, we start to see the beginning of allotment and the reservation era and particularly the shift of a generation um and it seems like dawes is one side of the government sitting bull is on the other side um and then we kind of also see charles eastman dr eastman which i, I was reading through imdb and people were in the reviews were saying that eastman's story was kind of dropped into the movie and because he wasn't really in the book yeah, I don't remember. I, it's been a long time since I've read the book. It's probably been like over 20 years since I've read the book. So I don't remember what's in the book or what's not in the book. I do remember it was very extensive at the beginning. And then it seemed like it got more and more specific the closer we got to this particular time period. And I don't remember where it ends. Um, but I feel like it ends after all this. But I, I couldn't tell you if he is present as present as he is here. You're saying he's not, so... Um, I have not come across Eastman in this, and so I was wondering, like, whenever I wanted to compare it and see how they lined up, um, y'all want to talk about the beginning of the movie? Or should... <laughs> I'm nervous. <laughs> Let's do it. <clears throat> Let's do it. Okay. 
we don't see the Battle of Little Bighorn, right? In the movie, we hear about this is like after the event. Um, and it's like Custer died, and it's like 261 men are the victims, and it's like, what about the native people? Like, what about it's like, it's very much that's like, that's the headline. That's like one of the first things is like, no officer like of the companies is left, and it's like, and then it's like talking about the 68 treaty, and I was like, um, this is where I appreciate the book, and um, it talks about, in like one of the forewords, it says like, how people are upset with the book, but some people love it, and like some people hate it because they wish they wrote it. And I'm just like, because it like gives a perspective that like, oh, I wish I had done that. And it's like, or they're mad about the truth of like what it has or what it says and um so and then it goes to henry dawes and he's like we we want these people to be civilized because they're going to survive and like this is the only way for them is like to adapt to um the euro american settler way and it's like Native people have been surviving for a long time. Like, we've been here since creation. Uh, we've been doing just fine. <laughs> um, but, yeah. So, um, I was, we, me and Angela said, she's like, oh, like, Henry Dawes is a senator. And so, I remember, like, when my first thing about, him, like, the Dawes is, like, the Dawes roles, Dawes act. And I know that from the allotment. Like, because, mm -hmm. like... Uh, because, like, my tribe went through the allotment, and I think a lot of us, like, that's, like, how that was the tool that was another system, another um, systematic form of oppression to get our land so that it could be sold to white people. So that they could have another reason. It's like, we're going to, we're, we're pushing y'all west. And reading the book, they said, like, oh, like... Like basically, west of the Mississippi, and like these, like these lions and these meridians. This is like, this will be native land. Like nobody can trade or nobody can go there without permission from the government. And then it's like that's what was said in the treaties. That's what they said that this is how it's going to be. It's like this is like what we were promised. And then it just like it keeps dwindling down. They're like, oh, but we want that now. And thinking about the removal and like these treaties that are promised, I think just like my understanding of history and what I've read and learned that of course they wanted our land. We were already settled. We had homes built, we had schools, we knew how to take care of it. We knew like, like what was there. We had been there for a long time. And then, like, of course, like, a lot of the Southeastern tribes, like, which when I am, they, they fought against it a lot of times. And, like, you see that kind of, like, in the movies. They're like, you have to touch this pin or else you're, like, you're dying. And it's like, a lot of times they weren't getting, given a choice. Or they were lied about what the contents of the treaties said. They said that, like, in one of the books, or one of the chapters, it says, like, oh, the Sioux, like, there was, like, all these bands, um, and only five of them signed this treaty, and it was invalid, and they said, oh, but we'll get their signatures later. They never got them, and so that treaty wasn't right, and 
Um, I learned this um, last summer that a lot of like the names and these places that we were, they still have those names because that's part of the treaty. And so like you see these tribal names of these towns, of these mountains, of these rivers and stuff. And I thought that was um, kind of like, I don't know, it's like you can try to remove us, but like our, our footprints, our DNA, like we're still here, like as much as you want to like get rid of us, like you can't. <laughs> I think we're embedded just like that. It's like we are part of the land. Well, and in the opening of the film, isn't there a chiron about there was a depression in the economy post-war? Gold was discovered in the Black Hills. That's where all of our the Indian people were. And so it was, yeah, it was a total resource grab for what was underneath the surface of the land. And... You know, I never really thought about Dawes as a human. I think Aidan Quinn tried to portray him in the film as kind of a noble philanthropist, almost a philanthropist that was trying to do the best for Indian people. And I thought it was interesting how they brought in Adam Beach's character, Dr. Eastman, as a, as a conflict. You know, towards the end of it, it gets kind of cheesy. I should have jumped. I should have jumped. But there was that really powerful moment when he's in DC and runs into the senator and is like, you know, but you didn't give me the choice. You didn't, you never asked me what I wanted to do. You just told me I was going to do this and told me I was going to do that. And, you know, Dawes was like, well, you know, you're, you're part of the reason that this happened. He's like, yeah, but you never gave me the chance. So that was really powerful. And to, just to watch his journey as, you know, his dad was, you know, brought into the Christian way and then, you know, took him and cut his hair and totally assimilated him to watch that journey was really interesting. And, and I, I know that a lot of us feel that way, especially me, a pre equa baby about not having that choice of which path to, to choose. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah. I did enjoy that part. Yeah. And the, the way they kind of set that up when he's young or like when they shift from when he's young into when he becomes an adult when Dawes is like introducing him to that room full of people i'm not even sure if it's like i'm not sure what that is like a scholarship fund or something i can't remember what that meeting was for but he has like that flash back to the train and it seems like he's it seems like they're able to depict this sort of like being pre uh boarding school and then post boarding school and it's like this moment of trauma where he can't reconcile the past with the present and being a young man who wants to be able to have the words to fight and the confidence to stand up for what's being lost versus like the man who's been transformed and has some sort of ability to move in the world in the way that the world wants him to at that point uh it, and it feels like it's really fragmented and it feels like it's an interesting depiction of trauma just specifically that it's like a child you know that's been robbed of the ability to grow into someone and uh it seems like he's always kind of going back to that particular moment and it is related to the train and the train is symbolic you know expansion 
but then it's like not stopping also and yeah you know, um so i felt like that was the most complicated it really got and i felt like it was really getting close to some sort of truth there but it does like turn into melodrama at the end where he's like i should have jumped from the train and and then the no, feather and then at the river and that the feather <laughs> dang come on y'all <laughs> yeah when when he's treating all of the massacre survivors you know and there's that i guess back then it was a crane shot where and it's snowing you know it snows coming down and he's walking among all the wounded i fully expected him to look up to the sky and like have this you know that shot they they always do where there's like what is it green mile or something the rain coming down uh yeah. like, where's that cheesy shot <laughs> uh, yeah the camera's up looking down the rain's falling yeah or like looking up and then seeing the eagle pass over yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at least they didn't go there <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i did appreciate the fact that sitting bull didn't speak broken english and he didn't have this real resi pigeon English. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess that guy, I don't know if he, the guy that's playing Sitting Bull is Shakespearean trained. I mean, he was like, really? Oh, showing up. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, I think he portrayed him pretty well. Like, I don't know. He's like this like very dignified leader. Like, I don't know. I think he was just trying to... Like, as a character, he was trying the best he could for the, his people for survival. And then, like, at the end, you can, like, kind of see, like, like, yes, like, this is a, like, this is why he's a leader. This is why he's respected. And I like that part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And you really feel it when, like, he's lost that respect, you know, when he's got to hand it over uh, based on, like, the, when he steps on to the reservation i'm trying to find like the i don't know if, i don't know if that's just like a i feel like they didn't explain that very well when he arrives at sandy rock i'm not sure if it's like actually tribal space or if it's like we're supposed to understand that there's a fort on the verge of the space or it acted like a regular western town it was a little unclear about that <clears throat> But when he's got to relinquish, like he stands up saying the treaty side that I signed says that you give me these things and with the house by the river. Um, but then he's told by um, McLaughlin at Standing Rock. He's like, no, you'll get this. You won't get that. You're going to get the means to build your own house and then you're going to get the tickets for the rations. And then walking out of that defeated, it's like so like disheartening. And you really sense, you know, like that was a really great moment where it's like these elders and these respected leaders are just quelled by the government. And it's just so dismissive the way it happens. Just sort of like also like he's getting sickly pleasure out of it. Like just the way that J.K. Simmons performs it feels like he's like really able to stick it to him. For a moment and then he just keeps trying to do that over and over and it's just, well and i uh, think that his character is probably more indicative of most indian agents right you know that are in it for themselves to get to skim off the top and 
mm-hmm. do as little as possible and have yes. their own pockets. Yes, that was very common in the book. Um, that the agents, the like, um, what they call them, like the agencies that were set up, like for these rations, for these like meat things, for these things that that was promised in these treaties, they would steal as much as they could from them, or like whenever harsh winters and stuff would come, they would, they wouldn't give it out as much as they needed and stuff like that. Or like, like, um, something like the soldiers or whatnot, they would take it from them. And it's like, that was like an ongoing problem and it led to wars. And a lot of times, like I said, like in the books, like the tribal nations, they didn't want war. They wanted peace and they just wanted what was promised to them, what they said they would get. And only as war was like kind of like the last resort. And then, like, they did it, and sometimes they won, most times they lost, but a lot of times, like, it was just broken promises, broken promises, and it's, like, one of the things that, like, one of the quotes is, like, um, kind of, like, how much we believe in people we want to believe in what people say they do, but, like, the government and, like, these agencies, they just, like, we shouldn't. We shouldn't believe what they say, because it's, like, time after time, we're let down and like our people hurt for it um or like it's all about control like they wanted people to they wanted our resources they wanted our land they wanted us to be something that we weren't they wanted us to be like them and it's like we were doing just fine and like um sickness and stuff would go through like especially during the harsh winters and stuff or like kids Whenever they're like, oh, you're like, you're in trouble or someone was fighting. It's like, you have to go to this res now. You have to go to this place. And it's like, people are in bad, poor conditions. Like the sanitation's bad. They're like food and crops don't grow there. There's no game. And people would get sick and die. And it's just like, it was really sad. And so it's like, I saw like, whenever his like son is like, oh, like, the commissioner, he lets us hunt for our own food here. And it's just like, you could see it in his eyes, like how, how far they had like, kind of like come. It's like, but we used to like hunt wild. Like it was a whole ordeal. It was, it was a great victory to like, to get these Buffalo to get your meat. And now you're like in this small acre, maybe of a corral. And then, it was it's very sad and that's what i think it kind of portrays in like it's like this is where we were this is how it went and i think that's kind of representative of that time yeah that that scene was hard to watch the hunting scene that was that was hard yeah and it was also like it felt like it was very similar to what i would see in like maybe a depiction of a western show at that time period also like i guess coming up this sort of like small little arena and then it's like somebody riding a horse and chasing after an animal like the way they used to you know or it's like a continuation and they're still alive and look at how they can achieve this it felt like that also in that small space yeah but then we but just you know to juxtapose woman walks ahead Mm -hmm. which is also sitting bull and it talks about his assassination and made much later, Michael Gray eyes starred, starred in it. You know, it was a, 
I know it focused on the artist, but it was a much more layered version of Sitting Bull, I felt, because he was shown trying to farm and, you know, it, it was just, it's interesting to, to look at the two different portrayals of Sitting Bull. The, the painter, just to clarify, painter Catherine Weldon. Yeah. But this was, this version, and this is a much older leader who's, who you know, who's seen some stuff. He's, he's much more broken and, you know, he's been trying to stay the course. And even his people are like, no, we can't do this anymore. We can't. And then C- Canada is like, you got to get out. So. I thought that was kind of cool, though. Just like the depiction of like Canada. I feel like we never see Canada kind of represented or like that initial scene where they're crossing the border and that sort of basically nation to nation um, diplomacy. I thought that was really kind of cool. I feel like we never get depicted as a nation or as nations negotiating with other nations on the same like playing field. You know, that's not what happens later in the end, but I thought that was a really interesting um, relationship uh, when they're crossing or entering Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I thought that was interesting as well. Like you said, we don't really see that often. And um, um, I think it was interesting to see like how like I almost want to say, like, it seemed like Sitting Bull was, like, afraid in that, like, because, and he, like, acts out in that fear and, like, disciplines his, um, his band, um, his members, his, uh, tribal, um, relatives, and it's, like, and they're, like, this is enough, like, that's too much, and it's, like, I don't know, I also feel like, why, <laughs> It's like, it seemed kind of like, oh, like, why are, like, the crow telling on us to the Canadians? Why can't we just deal with these things ourselves? <laughs> you know? Right. It's like, you got some horses? Okay, come find your horses. Take their horses back. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's kind of like sovereignty. I was like, maybe we should be doing that stuff. I don't know. <laughs> it's easy to say now, looking back. Yeah, I mean, I I think overall, I think the film was pretty uneven. There's some really powerful moments, but they, to me, they kind of got negated by some of those cheesier moments of a non-native way of controlling the narrative in a Western way. Does that make sense? It's it's definitely made for non-native audiences. So you have a sympathetic character in Anna Beach's character that you kind of follow through and you see this uh, the, this world through his eyes, right? And because he's assimilated, then non-Native audiences can follow along with the story more easily. And I, you know, why can't we just have a movie from Sitting Bull's side of the story. <laughs> Maybe we can in the future. That would be cool. 
<laughs> that would be cool. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to go back to like what uh, Sunrise and both of you were saying, like how like um, Adam Beach, Dr. Eastman was kind of like traumatized and it's like this train, it's like it's very fast paced, it's ongoing. He's like, I should have jumped. He's like, why didn't I jump? And I think like, like thinking on that bag, it's like, well, who else would have been there to take care of these people? Who else would have advocated for them if it, if you weren't educated, if you didn't go off to school? I know, like, um, uh, what's his name? Dawes is like, you're no more Sue than I am. I'm like, bro, bro, like, I have a Sue day. It's like, like, you don't take the Sue out of people. Or it's like, if you're native, you're native. Like, there's no, like, assimilation. Like, people, I was like, and it's like kind of like the identity is also kind of like gaslighting, you know, it's like hurting his ego. And I'm just like, yes, mm-hmm. he is too. Like he grew up and he's like, mm-hmm. you like his family wanted, his dad wanted him to get educated. And it's like, he wanted him to go do these things and he did that, but he also came back. And I think that's also kind of like a common theme of like what happens to um, our youth and like our people nowadays is we go off, get educated and then we want to come back so we can help. We want to have that knowledge. We want to be able to help our communities in the best ways that we can. And I think that's like, he questions that a lot. And I think that's kind of sad because I know like we are all like struggling with our identity, especially nowadays. It's like we live in two worlds, as we say. And it's like, okay, well, how how can I do this and do this? But he's like, he's trying, man. He's trying. And I'm rooting for him. I know like it's it's tough. Like he like he wants to say he wants to say goodbye to that like his dad's necklace and to his feather that he hunted, but he doesn't and he keeps on. It's like and that's okay, you know. I think that's okay because it's a reminder. It's very few items he had whenever he was young, and it's like of that life that he had before he was forced to off to reservation schools and man that teacher like she basically tricked him <laughs> like like he's like no little crow did not want a war and he did it little <laughs> crow did not want a war he fought <laughs> so hard he like yep a lot of these times like these like the tribal leaders like we go to the like the the federal agents the commissioners it's like hey this is what happened we want answers or we'll like travel to go do this and like they was the like the senators the people the federal agents they were so rude and mean it's like there's no honor in you mm-hmm. like you ha- like your word means nothing and i think that's like one of the things i've taken away from the book it's like don't trust the feds yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think that that distrust is like down in our dna at this point yes yeah. yes it really is yeah yeah but that's true. The fact that you know uh, those that go out to the world and then come back, there is that struggle out in the world to like not lose yourself because the world, whether intentionally or not, is out to like change you, right? Um, but yeah, you're making a good point that he comes back. He comes back, and he's wiser because he understands how the system works now from the outside out in the east he can come back and utilize that wisdom in a way that you know only going out there would benefit him and we kind of don't have that part of the story like that's really where we kind of have these stories where people come back 
they try to reintegrate and then there's a struggle to like be embraced because you're associated with in this case especially you're associated with the government and you know that whole like reintegration process has got to be its own kind of like problem and trauma but uh he is a new kind of leader um and we don't get that really we, he just sort of seems like he's the person who's like maybe found a home at the end he's among his people sort of he's got a wife so he's got like a home you know and a family I, he's but, a lot like <clears throat> like my uh, dad's family you know a lot of them went in like grandpa printer went to residential school wouldn't teach the boys their ways in order for them to survive but all of or i would say the majority of them went into public service mm-hmm. of some kind where there were a lot of people that worked for the bia that worked on the behalf of other native people mm-hmm. and you know sure they they didn't marry native ladies but <laughs> but you know that was always their goal was to help advance the quality of life for native people mm-hmm and I never realized that that was an anomaly, like, and probably until I got to college, mm. because I thought that's how everybody lived their life was in service of others. In service, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we could see that, like, non-natives, like, I don't know, you're Americans, colonizers, settlers, whatever you want to say. Um, that's like very much greed and capitalistic. And it's like, we see that with the Dawes Act. We see that with Senator Dawes. Mm-hmm. What he wants is the Black Hills, which are sacred mm-hmm. to the Sioux, mm-hmm. Lakota, Dakota. Mm-hmm. Like, he wants that railroad to go straight to the mines, straight to, like, uh, I think it's called Six Grandfathers. And so they can mine it. And so they can get gold. So they can get wealth. And it's like, like Natives, like, okay, yeah, that's there. But, like, this land is sacred. And it's like, it's not for sale. And I like that. I like that they stuck to their guns and they said, no, we're not doing this because they listened to Red Cloud. And he's like, I would not have touched that pin. But mm-hmm. it's like yeah. knowing these things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're still at it. I mean, with like Standing yeah. Rock. Standing Rock comes up and I'm like, oh my, it's it's still happening. It's know? still going on. I think today, I recently went up to Rapid City um, to assist uh, Dr. Jessica Moore-Harjo as a fashion show. And, like, they're, like, it's racism in Rapid City. And, like, it's, like, prevalent. And, like, like, there's, like, a hotel where they're, like, no natives. And, like, like, there's places like that that they don't serve natives and stuff like that. And um, there's, they're trying to mine, like, do some more mining up in that area. And destruction to the land. All for some gold, some greed. And it's, like, this stuff, like, you, okay how much is like going to be enough for you like you when will it be enough like you can't drink dirty water if you pollute it you can't do anything to these lands if you just wreck it and it's like and all these like trees like that are like being decimated like in these areas for agriculture it's like clean we need trees we need trees we don't need oil we didn't have it for a long time, but we need trees because trees give us clean air. And but and y'all clean are water. Just, yes, and we need clean water. But like I was gonna say, there's like a a town hall about like 
like stopping this mining up in the Black Hills right now. And so it's like it's still ongoing. Let's see, yeah. the massacre happened in 1890. So it just shows you how little things have changed in 130, 40 years. And the the fact that we're like in this ecological emergency that hinges on <laughs> resolving these things does not curb anyone. I just um I just uh don't know what to say. Well, and then there's the flip side of this. Well, there's the flip side of this, you know, especially like in Alaska with the Willow Project. Uh -huh. There's a lot of poverty up there. There are a mm -hmm. lot of people that don't have jobs. Mm -hmm. And these industries bring money and jobs. They bring a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I mean, 100%. But they also bring a livelihood to people that ne need that to mm -hmm. feel like they contribute to, to the world, I guess. And yeah, so I mean, it's, like, it's, it's that whole, you know. Double edge. Yeah. Sword. Mm -hmm. yeah, and you know, I mean, if we do stop mining, specifically mining, uh, there are byproducts from mining that we have yet to resolve. And one of them, I think, is related to batteries, like the um, sulfuric acid that we use for batteries comes from the byproduct of mining. And uh, if we stop mining, that goes away. And then we get into a battery problem. Every battery in the world will have to have an alternative, which we don't have an alternative for. And that includes cars, mm. cars, watches, phones, everything. I say to that land back, like, give me a horse. I'd much rather take that horse <laughs> than a car. Yeah. <laughs> I've been saying this for a while. It's like, I want a horse. Like, let yeah. me take care of my horse and I will travel where I need to, when I need to. I don't need to be driving and spending all this gas money on something that's just going to yeah. go up in fumes and pollute the yeah. air. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, a horse does not pollute the same, and its pollution is supposed to help the whole cycle. <laughs> <laughs> well, can we talk about the depiction of the massacre in the in the movie? So, like, the massacre is, like, where they're doing these dances, right? They're doing dances, they're doing ceremony, and people, the government, are acting out of fear. They're like, oh, this is supposed to bring the end of the white people. And it's just like, why can't we just be Native, man? Why can't we just be Native? <laughs> why can't y'all just leave us alone and let us practice our ceremonies? But it's like, oh, yeah, but also our ceremonies and stuff weren't legal and we weren't given freedom of religion and stuff. Like, one of the last people to get that. But, um... I was kind of glad to not see it so grotesque and whatnot. I know we got one of those scenes at the beginning of the movie. And so that was hard. And it's just like, and you just, it's like all over that big old pan of like the plains and um, the mountains and like these, everything. But I think it was also kind of... Um, kind of poetic in a sense that like the snow like the earth cried for like two days like they weren't able to 
go and like um, inspect or witness, as I said, it like the land and, um, and like these bodies were just frozen, and it's just like maybe it's like so you could see because so you can know like this atrocity that um, happened, and it's like. Um, and like the people are just frozen stiff and like taking pictures and stuff. And it's like, it's kind of like, why are y'all like, why do we have your attention whenever it's too late? It's like, we have been asking for help. Like people have been like, children have been dying. Like people are getting sick and we've like, they were writing letters and they was like, we need these things. And it's like, but now like. Why is this what y'all want to see? And I think we see that a lot in like our movies and some of our stories and like our histories. It's like, but we need your help and we need, we're speaking and telling you we need like your attention. We need these resources now, especially like you could say that with missing, murdered indigenous women and relatives. It's like, um, sidetrack, sidebar, uh, that I went to, um, the, Department of Interior had uh, um, had some commissioners come to Tulsi and they were at like um, uh, the Osage Casino and um, it's like they want training, they want these things like oh like what can we do, like how can we help this, it's like well y'all haven't been very helpful, we've been asking for help, we've been doing the work but grassroots, it's like we have volunteers, we have been advocates, and it's like, y'all aren't doing much. It's like, if you're not doing your job, give, a, give us the resources so we can do what we have been doing. We have been helping our communities. We have been stepping in and doing this. And I think you can see that with that, with uh, Dr. Eastman. Um, so that was a little second. But um, I think it was just like another another tragedy at the hands of the American government. Well, I was, I was also glad that we didn't see it in graphic detail. Mm -hmm. I appreciated that because I was like psyching myself up for that. Um, mm -hmm. But I did, I did enjoy, I shouldn't say enjoy, but I did appreciate the bodies in the snow. The stillness of that scene, I think spoke more strongly than watching it happen on film. And I liked the way that they led into it with, you know, Dr. Eastman being back in town. And then all of a sudden, all of these bodies start, all these people start showing up in the wagons and, and everybody going, what's happened? What, what's going on? Because that's how it would have happened. That's what would have happened. That's how the word got out is that otherwise nobody would have known. So I, I appreciated that, that peripheral way of, leading us into that part of the story just knowing that it was going to be hard to watch anyway yeah but then I agree. but then at the end yeah when they put when he walks out among the snow and is like i was like oh come on we're doing so well let's not cheese it up too much here folks <laughs> yeah i mean those are all good points and those are also things that still continue to happen you know like the information gets out and that's the way that people know that's one side of the sword the other side is that that information gets out too late it does kind of perpetuate the sort of uh, image of us as victims and that they just 
I don't know if they, the media just wants to see us suffer all the time, you know, or that we are something to cry over because we just are always at the hands of the system. That's like part of like American love of the underdog, I guess, like those that make it, but then those that like almost made it. Americans seem to love that aspect of like the underdog and we're the underdog that never mediated never makes it but yeah i agree with angela that i was worried that we're going to see a lot of um violence <clears throat> especially on in, in this this is like a version of like exploitation sometimes when they go to like history and wounded knee imagery always has like women and children like running i mean obviously they were there but it's like somehow they always focus on that. They focus on like women and children getting hurt and beaten almost only and very gratuitously. And I'm, I'm kind of glad that we only saw the aftermaths and not lived through it. Um, but I had difficulty focusing at that moment. It's like the one section of the film I, I just had difficulty sitting through. I kind of didn't want to watch it. I don't know. Yeah, so it's interesting that when we started talking about how we like missed the first battle, that it was like kind of avoided. But here we're talking about this sequence, and I almost wanted to avoid it a little bit somehow. I don't know what the right answer to any of that is. Yeah. 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 Um. Speaking of avoiding, the reason I haven't finished that book yet is because I'm at the Sand Creek Massacre chapter. Ah. And I'm just like, I already know bits and pieces about what's happened, what's going to happen. And I, I just, I haven't been able to get through that yet. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's like, what are the right, what are the answers? Like, we don't know. We're still healing as mm -hmm. like people. It's like, we, we, we go through so much trauma. We, it's like almost like every generation like we're attacked and like mm -hmm. like we're we're trying we're like in survival mode for the longest time mm -hmm. and how do we how do we get to where we're no longer that way maybe it's like sovereignty maybe it's dependent or it's mm -hmm. um, self-reliance maybe it's community maybe it's like helping each other heal um mm -hmm. and then it's also land back it's like air, land back everything mm -hmm. it's like yeah. also, this is like, just like supporting your community like helping with like language like tribal mm -hmm. ways traditions cultures mm -hmm. and uplifting in each other and i mm -hmm. think that's the way and it's like we're also like learning from our elders from our stories from mm -hmm. those things and letting that carry us forward yeah and like depicting today, you know, that's like the more we see ourselves today doing things today, it's like evidence of survival, right? Evidence and proof that we can achieve, we can move beyond the tragedy. Yeah. I think, you know, if we're going to talk about resilience, mm -hmm. all of these language acquisition programs where people are going back and learning trying to learn their language i'm one of them i have several friends that are learning marley are you saying you're learning your language too 
Yes, I am. I'm taking classes. <laughs> and so it was like little six week courses. And I'm like, yes, it's sticking in. It's like, yes. <laughs> so for my final project for this spring semester of conversational Inubiac, which I highly recommend enrolling in, I gave a presentation on narrative sovereignty and tied it into using our language to tell our stories. And I think that, you know, everybody in the class was like, oh, wow, yeah, that's the next step. We're learning our language. Now we're telling our stories and con contemporary stories in our languages of how we are now, not in the past. I mean, while I appreciate this movie, the concept of the movie, it still throws up those stereotypes of us being gone, of Native erasure, you know, this all happened in the past and they're all dead now. Do we even have Indians anymore? That mentality and just reading through the reviews on IMDb, everybody's like, oh, it's just horrible what we did to them. No, it's horrible what you're still doing. You're just not aware of it. Right. Like we just talked about, it's been a hundred and something years and they're still trying to mine there and, you know, still having protests and on and on and on. Although it is nice that we have like, a tangential narrative about how to blow up a pipeline. I feel like that's <laughs> sort of part, <laughs> part of all this. <laughs> uh, we are yeah. not encouraging anyone to blow up a pipeline. We are encouraging them to go watch the movie. <laughs> yeah, watch the movie. <laughs> and learn your language. <laughs> learn the language. <laughs> learn how to ride a horse. Learn your foods. Right. Learn your practices. It was it was nice to see ghost dance in this. It's never depicted so seriously, I think. Even though West Studi was speaking kind of like a broken English, but it was cool to see sign language. It was cool to see like them practicing. It was cool to see like all these different tribes there um, learning something new. I felt like that was about the future a little bit, and he was talking about the future also. And I feel like that character Wavoka. Very rarely I ever see that character depicted. We hear about it in other movies, I think, sometimes. Or if it's depicted, it's like a silhouette and it's like, you know, people in the sunset dancing or something just prior. But he was afforded a whole scene and we see them learning how to dance together. And it felt like that was very hopeful and very positive. And I wanted to see more of that without the pigeon English. Right. Yeah, that's something we didn't bring up with Wes, but that would have been a nice. Yeah, we should have. We didn't even think to. And then... friend, friend of the podcast, Wes Duty. Uncle Wes. Hey. I haven't <laughs> met him yet. I haven't met him yet, but hopefully someday soon. <laughs> someday. Oh, he has so many great stories. I bet. I bet I could spend like hours talking to him. Days. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's Any... here for Res Dogs, maybe. Yeah, it should be. Everybody's been in and out. So uh, one of our consultants was, when we announced that we were going to talk about this, one of our consultants sent an anecdotally funny story. I'll read it real quickly. I had been invited to the New York premiere that was being held at the American Museum of Natural History. Taika Waititi was in town shooting Flight of the Concords, which was also an HBO production. So we went together thinking that we could meet some folks and, you know, charm some folks he summed it up quite nicely walking out more like bury my heart at walmart i knew the executive producer at hbo 
She was the VP of development and production at the time. They threw so many resources at this film, but they didn't have any native creatives in the decision-making roles. So it made it kind of a mess, not what it was supposed to be. And if I remember correctly, she said they spent $7 million on the score alone. It's interesting because Scorsese had originally pitched the idea of making this into a film in the 70s with Marlon Brando, although we don't know what role Marlon Brando was offered. But that was after the Sashin Little Feather non-acceptance speech. Because I will say the music drove me insane. I was so sick of the weepy piano. I was like, if they spent $7 million on it, why did they only use five bars over and over again? I was quite stunned that it was George S. Clinton. I was like, what? I had to like rewind and I'd like go back and play music. I was like, really? And now that you're talking about how much money, like that's astounding to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And while I, again, while I appreciate the message and the parts of it and the intention overall, and the intention, but because part of this production, I think it suffered from it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All the white white audiences loved it. Good for them. <laughs> I hope some of them learned something at least, at the very least. It's like if they like it, then maybe they should realize that the sacred hills are not for sale, and she gave all the land back. There you go. <laughs> that's what. <laughs> that's what. Need them to be allies. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh. So yeah, if you're listening to this and you want to be an ally, call, write, SCOTUS, and tell them to uphold ICWA. Yes, yes, uphold ICWA. Yes, that's what we want right now. I know we got a long list of what things we need, but that's what we want. We want our children safe. Yes. Uh, Related to the crew, the Mid-Thunders worked on this. Oh, did they? What they do in that? Oh, interesting. Zon McLaren was also on this as well. He was a uh, ADR voice listening something, Lakota or oh, something. Yeah. Like I saw him in the credits. I was like, That's oh, cool. okay. Yeah. Too bad they didn't get any of them to act. Right. You know what? I I'm thankful though that we have native film actors and like um what do they call those? Like room writers, writers room. So we're seeing that now. So I am glad about that. We are seeing progress. And so, and that was 2007, right? And so it was probably made like 2005-ish. So almost 20 years. So progress. Progress. (laughs) We'll take it. It seems like HBO is dealing with other people now. In terms of like making indigenous content with indigenous-led creators, right? HBO is? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who are they... Well, you mean pre, pre-discovery acquisition, probably. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, I think there's contemporary novelizations or uh, translations, contemporary novels that are being translated for HBO hmm. through the pipeline, mm-hmm. through the grapevine. I'm hearing this. Oh, yeah. the Firekeeper's daughter is going to be <laughs> being adapted, mm-hmm. which I. I'm excited about that. She's got her second book coming out and I can't wait. I wanted to say a comment about like the money. Okay. So about 
like how much they offered like their final offer of like the black hills and like whenever the allotment and stuff was going on so it was like the the highest amount they offered was a dollar 25 in like 1876 ish area you know how much that equates to today nope about less than 30 dollars about 28 dollars an acre seriously <laughs> seriously i was like i can't even buy an acre for 30 dollars here no That's not crazy. even in oklahoma i don't know where you can buy an acre for 30 bucks <laughs> i don't know man the panhandle but, i don't know yeah maybe the moon Hopefully we don't colonize the moon. I like looking at the moon, and I don't want to see stuff up there. Mm -hmm. No, I don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, I was also reading, like, um, it was, like, uh, like about the Dawes Act and, like, the Iowa Nation. And it was, like, very similar. It was, like, $23 an acre. It was, like, and all, a lot of times it was forced. It's like, you have to do this. Like, you have to sell us this, and this is all you're going to get. In. And I like that, like, the Sioux still own the Black Hills. They have not sold it. It is still under their treaty rights. And maybe that's what we should have done. Maybe that's what it's like. Like, you're not getting our signature. You're not, we're not touching nothing. Um, you're, like, no more. No more contracts. It's like, start honoring your treaty. Start honoring your word. And maybe, mm -hmm. but most likely not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> No, I hate to say it, but that probably would have been grounds for them to truly exterminate. They would have used that as an excuse. Hostility. It, I I can't imagine having to been having to be a leader during that time. It would, I mean, heartbreaking. Yeah, it, yeah, heartbreaking, and it's also the time where it's like. Also, there's a likely a break in tradition. At least we see that with the Comanche. There's like young voices rising and challenging like the elders, the older leaders, the older way. And there's definitely like a rift, you know, and we still hold it against some of these people that that's on, e on either side, you know, like that's a different kind of generational trauma separate from all of this the fact that we're like infighting and you know the basis of like mm -hmm. you know tribal politics basically yeah yeah so I'm, i would imagine if it's happening to comanche it's probably happening with other tribes what's yeah. the right way forward who's the leader now this person has a good idea but they're so young and that that's you know what's interesting is that at least the movie does indicate the sort of like shift into individualism which i think we it's related to all of that. There's ups and downs for that. You know, like Eastman is definitely thinking of like an individual. He sort of like still survives as an individual. He's not completely integrated in the end. But somehow that individual is the one that the government's going to listen to. It's like one person. They're still all like waiting for this one leader, the person who's going to vocalize. And he's able to do that, but he's not like completely integrated still. Another double-edged sword, according to the movie. In the books, we do see that, like, um, like the young leaders, the older leaders, and kind of like that conflict of who do we follow, who do we listen to, and who who knows what to do. And maybe it's like maybe it's there's something on both sides, or everybody has like a valid opinion. And it was interesting, like, what does it say? Like, every man is his own chief, you know, is what they like have written there. Whenever like these conflicts happen, 
um, whenever like wars go on or battles are lost, sometimes like, oh, like the leadership changes or shifts is like, we're not listening to you anymore because it's like what you did. And sometimes it was like, because of the treaties is like, you signed this treaty for us or you led this and this is what the outcome is. So we're no longer listening to you or going to these people. And um, maybe that's kind of like, like what he was kind of saying. But it's like integration, yes. Yeah, these are all really interesting ideas, and I feel like this is something like we would probably make something that could address these issues. These are more interesting and complicated, nuanced elements of this transitional period that this movie is definitely not grasping or r roughly getting to. But that would be very interesting. Let's make a whole series about this book. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> With all native seasons. writers' room and all native actors on native land, and bring jobs to the native people that these stories are about. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Make it happen. Brian Boyd, right. sign us up. All right, or write you to the list. <laughs> <laughs> we need that young energy to make it happen. Hey, I'm trying, man. <laughs> I'm also trying. <laughs> But yes, I got big ideas. I got big goals. And I, I just want to help the people. I just want us to no longer be in survival mode, but also be in thriving mode. Any last thoughts? Primarily in the movie, like it focuses on like Senator Dawes and the Dawes Act. And basically, like, as we've been saying, like this whole thing is like a land and resource grab and... Um, not honoring treaties that were promised and it's like all these lands like basically west of the Mississippi are going to be native lands like in like time after time broken treaties broken words um, and it's like and you see that with um, the commissioner there and he's like you're going to farm this land you're going to send your son to school you're going to do this and that and it's all about basic individualistic capital greed that's what they wanted and that's what I feel like in like the senator says that it's like every man will be able to farm his own land and sell this and do that. It's like, but that's not how we work and that's not how it has been and that maybe how you are, but that's not what our communities are built on. And it's like uh, hundred and sixty acres for like per man and whatnot. So personally, like my family had that, like we got allotment land, we still have like a very small piece of a lot of land that we live on and most of it has been sold off and to buy a house in like um i mean like from the seminole uh little area and they bought a house like 160 acres i think we have like two or three acres and um they bought a house in shawnee to live closer to work they we don't have that house anymore like i don't know anyone in my family who has that but because uh, they had, they were an hour from the city. They had to drive there. And most times, like, growing up, gas is still expensive. Gas was expensive. Cars take maintenance and stuff. Give me my horse. That's what I'm talking about. And, like, let me work from home. <laughs> um, but it's, like, that didn't help us. Like, like, two, three generations, I don't have no land. Like, I have a very few piece that, like, my family was on that I can go back if I wanted to. But that did not work. This allotment system that there's like 
this is going to be able to do this, this is do that. It's like, but we don't want that. We didn't want to be separated from our families or communities because we are stronger together. As Native people, we are stronger together. And it's like, and like all these, like in the movie, where it's like these Natives and people, Sue are, um, Lakota, are working for, and their policemen, it's like, y'all didn't have to listen to him. Y'all could have stopped at any time. Like, the only power that they have is what we give them. And we can take that away with our votes, with our voice, by indirect action, by peaceful action. We are the powerful people. It's like, this is, there's a reason they wanted us to be separated. They wanted us to sign away our rights. They wanted to sign away our names, our voices. There's a reason they cut our hair. It's like, because we are, we are strong, we are powerful people, and we are better together, and we can do amazing things. And so that's, that's why I want to end it like drop. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing to follow that. I know. You said it all. Um, oh, madam. <laughs> I really appreciate y'all working with my schedule and y'all's time and efforts, and I've really enjoyed this conversation with both you, Angela, and Sunrise. Well, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you. All right. So we got our homework list. We're going to protect ICWA. We're going to get horses, and we're going to get our land back and work on our language. (laughs) And vote. And And vote. vote. Everybody vote, please. Okay. I honestly think like us as native people we like have 576 tribes i believe we have like there's so much especially in oklahoma sunrise are you in oklahoma too oklahoma yeah yes okay like tribal leaders tribal communities we like have this whole state this is indian territory this is us we could have the state of sequoia if we wanted to mm-hmm. also um but we as a community need to be figuring out who we want to represent us in our nations we need to be banding and selecting these leaders so these next election cycles and the next ones after that, we are in office and we are in power. Because you know what? These people, they they don't represent us. Mm-mm. They do not have our interests at heart. But if we are selecting us, just like we need to have, we need to be in that white marble building and we mm-hmm. need to be in all the houses. Let's, this, is all our, this is all our land. We need to be in all the houses. Mm-hmm. So let's all vote. Let's make some change happen, and so we can make this place a better for the next seven generations. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. I hope y'all have a wonderful evening and a wonderful week. It was so lovely to chat with y'all. Quiana for joining us. Yeah, uh, tell us where we can find you on social media. Okay, so I have two accounts. Um, so Marley Nicole Fixico, aka No Heart underscore Hokti, which is like uh like Fixico means no heart or heartless. So it's like Fixico woman basically in Muskogee and Seminole. And then I have my own uh little company called No Heart Designs. I make customized jewelry apparel and I also do woodworking and drawing design. I basically do anything like I like I'm in the mood for so it's like I want to be anything that my my community needs so I can do everything <laughs> so just basically. a little background Marley and I met as we were stand-ins for the pilot of reservation dogs and she would sit and bead I mean in the, in the middle of a field 
It was insane. Big old umbrella, fix, you know, <laughs> keeping the sun off her. She just sit there and bead. I was like, wow. And I mean, creating gorgeous, gorgeous beadwork. Oh, that's awesome. And so, yeah. And so she's made this beautiful skirt for me. She has had clothing in what, Denver? Yes, I was. The Dakotas. Yeah. I was a featured designer at Native Fashion in the City in Denver, Colorado this year. It's my first solo um, fashion runway. I've also been in other ones with, um, I've collaborated with uh, Dr. Jessica Fargo of Weompi Designs. Um, And so I've been a model in like all of her shows. And I've made custom garments and stuff out of the fabric that she designed. She's amazing. Like, my hero. Um, I love, like, being able to work with her. And, like, um, we share a studio um, in Tulsi. And so I, like, do background work, acting. I don't know. know. If you can tell, I have an expressive face. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to be in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) But modeling and stuff like that. And then also, like, to dance whenever I can. Like, do stomp dances. And I also like to powwow um, mm-hmm. or like to just like be around music and be around music. Try and, okay. Eat, also eat, drink water, drink lots of water. Don't, don't drink sugar and stuff if you don't need to. Eat healthy, whole fruits, no artificial sugars, um, and move as much as you can. Movement is good for the body. Mm-hmm. So much wisdom. Just young awesome. elder status. Just, hey, I'm, just just kidding. Elder. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I just like I like young my elder. Red dogs. <laughs> my little quotes. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you were in Tulsa King as bad. Oh yeah, I was yeah. in the first episode of Tulsa King. I was a dispensary customer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they actually invited me back. Um, for one last season for another episode, but I had plans that day. Mm-hmm. So I was unable to go. But which episode? Uh of Tulsa King first episode. Which I'm episode? in a yellow dress. Yeah. Okay. And it's a blue sweater. Yeah. So if you go on my Instagram page, you'll see stills of it. You don't have to watch the show if you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I would support it, but they're moving it out of Oklahoma. And yeah, I'm like, uh-huh. yeah. dude, if you're going right. to have a name like Tulsa King, Tulsa King, you should be at least be in Oklahoma. Mm, yeah. <laughs> That's appropriation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we already got enough of that. We don't like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us for this discussion on Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, the 2007 film from HBO and thank you to Marley for leading our discussion tonight and remember don't just keep it real keep it real indigenous not bad no